And if you'll turn to the, the first reading, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This evening, it might sound as though we should be breaking bread, but really it's more than this, uh, what we want to speak on tonight, probably two weeks. It's just simply entitled, The Same Night in Which He Was Betrayed. The Same Night in Which He Was Betrayed. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning to read in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also we took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then if you'll turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, please, chapter 26. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Beginning to read at verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Keep your Bible open there. Let's pray. Father, bless everyone who's under the precincts of this roof and every family who is related to us. All our loved ones, will you encourage them and bless them at this time? We ask you, Father, that you would now shut us in with yourself, that we would, Lord, have a sense of your Spirit moving in our midst tonight. Lord, hide me and help us only Christ be seen. Lord, we listen for no other voice but the voice of the shepherd. We want to hear your word. We want to hear what you will say to us. We want to be devotional in how we look at our Savior just to love him all the more because as you reveal him to us, we fall in love with him all over again. Glorify your name this evening. Glorify your Son. And help us to leave here built up on our most holy faith. And help us to leave here if there be one that knows not the Savior, born of the Spirit, washed in the blood, trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name. We ask it for his glory alone. Amen. The same night in which the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he blessed it. He broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me. In the same wise, also in the same manner, he took the cup and he shared the cup around and he told them to drink it. He says, this is my blood, representing 
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. But the same night in which the Lord was betrayed, far more happened in that upper room. And then later, we, God willing, we'll look at it next Lord's Day evening. He goes into the garden where we read about, and when he goes into the garden of Gethsemane, the night continues on where his betrayal becomes to the culmination of his arrest, and then his trial before Pilate to his crucifixion. So we want to uh, let you know it's in two stages. But tonight we want to look mainly at the upper room in which our Lord was with his disciples breaking bread and he was eating with them, speaking to them. Many, many things happened and took place that night. The upper room that we speak of is thought that this was John Mark's mother's upper room. That John Mark's mother owned this room and she had given it to the Savior. It is also thought that in Acts chapter 2, that this is the same room where 120 had gathered. So it's been a sizable room, and the Holy Ghost fell upon the 120, like cloven tongues, like as of fire. It is thought also to be possibly John and Mark's mother's upper room. Also, when Peter is in prison in the book of Acts, we read how they had a prayer meeting. And I also thought this may be the same room where they were praying also. John Mark is the, the one who has written the, uh, the gospel of Mark's gospel. And John Mark was a young man and he actually, it is thought he portrays himself to be the young man who flees in the Garden of Gethsemane when Christ is arrested by the temple guard. And it is thought that he is the young man whom he speaks of who was in a linen cloth or a loincloth and we're told the guards went to arrest him also, but he ran away and he fled away completely naked from them. It's thought that he's speaking of himself that night. So he got away just by the, uh, the loosing of his clothes. So this upper room that we are looking at tonight, there was so much as went on in this short period of time. For example, it is at the time of Passover. And at Passover, the lambs were brought to the temple. And the high priest, uh, would, the, they would slay the lambs and the high priest would take the blood into the holy place of the temple, the holiest of all or the holy of holies. And he would sprinkle it upon the Ark of the Covenant and so on. And that's this time of year. It was to remind them when Israel came out of Egypt and when Israel came out of Egypt, uh, Moses was told to take a lamb and to slay it and put the blood upon the doorposts and the door lintels of their house. The Lord says, for tonight, after nine judgments upon Egypt and them refusing to let God's people go that they may worship and serve him, now comes number 10, God's perfect divine order of things, which would be the death angel. Listen to what the Lord says, says, uh, he says, and tonight he says, I will pass through Egypt. That is in judgment. I will pass through Egypt and I will slay the firstborn of the cattle and of everyone in Egypt that night. So take the blood and apply it to the doorposts and apply it to the door lintels. And he says, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So we get the term Passover for every Israelite. And listen, every Egyptian that may have acted in faith and heard it put the blood on the doorposts and the door lintels. And that night when God's death angel came through in judgment, when he saw the blood, he didn't say, if I see you're an Israelite, if I see that you're an Egyptian. He didn't say, if I see who you are or what you've done. He didn't say, if I've seen how good you've been or how hard you've worked. He didn't say, if I've seen how much slavery you've been in or whatever. He didn't say any of it. He says, when I see the blood, 
he says, I will pass over you. You see, God is only recognizing the blood of the Lamb. God will not, will not recognize our good works or who we are or where we grew up or where we came from or what church we went to. God will not recognize how nice we are or pleasant or how we help the homeless or whatever we have done and all those things may be nice and good. God looks for the blood and he only recognizes the blood. And on the day of judgment, when every man and every woman will stand before him, he will look for the blood of the lamb. He'll look for the blood of the lamb of God, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they trust in the blood. Is the blood applied to their soul? Was the blood applied to their life? Did they put their full trust in Christ alone, mine only begotten Son, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world? God will only recognize the blood. doesn't matter what color your skin is. doesn't matter how rich you are, poor you are, how short you are, how tall you are. doesn't matter your nationality, where you're from. God will look for, and he will recognize nothing but the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Only the blood of Christ. And so the Lord Jesus, he takes this bread and he takes this cup and he says, this will represent my broken body on the cross. This will represent, when you drink it, my precious shed blood when you take of it also. And it's a remembrance that the blood of the Lamb is all his Father will acknowledge. In this room this night, here's some things that people tend to forget. In this room this night, this Passover night, the Lamb of God was with his disciples. In John's gospel from chapter 13 on up to around chapter 18 gives us a greater detail of what happened in the room. So we'll look mainly at John's gospel. You can write them down. We haven't time to go through them. But whenever I speak of these, these all happened on the same night in which he was Betrayed. First of all, in John chapter 13, we're told in verse 2, they're all in this room together. They're all eating around the table. And we're told, listen, the devil put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Now notice that the devil put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not think it's strange that here is a, an upper room where Christ himself is teaching, where Christ himself is present, where Christ himself, who has the spirit without measure, who is deity and divinity, yet full humanity. You don't think it's strange that even the devil was there that night? We tend to think that the devil will never be where there is a passion and fire of the spirit. Let me tell you something, the devil will be where the Spirit is moving because he wants to thwart it and he wants to extinguish it, but he hasn't a hope of doing it. Here the devil is putting it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the man whose heart was opened to the moving of the devil and not the Spirit. Would I be speaking to someone whose heart is open to the devil rather than the Spirit? You know, many times in a gospel meeting, there would be people who would say, well, God's in the house and the Spirit is moving. And that may be true and that may be so. But to other hearts, the devil may be stirring. Don't you listen to that preacher. Don't you take heed to that word of God. Look, don't do anything about it tonight. You've got plenty of time. 
The devil puts it into our minds and he puts it into our hearts. Tells us to take a step back. Listen, don't worry about this Christ. Don't worry about what he's done. Sure, it's only a a fanciful furry tale. It's an ancient, antiquated book that this man is reading from and preaching from. And the devil whispers to the ear and into the heart of men and women in the same room where the Holy Ghost is convicting others. Who is speaking to you right now? The devil put it into Judas, the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray the Lord Jesus right at the dinner table. Right at his table. The old devil, Satan, was there at the table of Christ. What Jesus said about the disciples, have I not chosen the twelve of you and one of you is a devil? Christ knows his own. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Also on that night in John chapter 13 from verses 3 to 17, We read that the Lord Jesus, as they're eating and finishing up, that the Lord Jesus gets up and girds himself with a towel, takes, as it were, a basin of water and starts to wash the disciples' feet. Starts to wash the disciples' feet. Do you know that was the job of a servant or a slave? Here is the eternal God in flesh. Here is the hope of the nations right before them. On his knees, so humble, such humility he came in. And he got right down onto his knees. And these men were looking at him and he starts to wash their filthy feet. What a Christ. What a Savior. He washes their feet, even the feet of Judas Iscariot. He even washes the feet of the betrayer. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 18 to 30, the same night in which he was betrayed, Jesus reveals the betrayer by dipping the sop in the dish and giving it to Judas Iscariot. By the way, the sop really means it wasn't as though he was taking a big chunk of bread off and saying, here now, eat. The idea is he gave him a crumb, a tidbit. He gave him something just to dip it. It's him. That's the way it goes. It's him. Who is it that will betray you, Lord? Is it I, they all said, not knowing their own heart? Is it I, Lord, not knowing their own heart? Will I betray you tonight? And he takes a sop, he dips it. He says, it's him. Listen to what it says in John 13 and verse 27. After the sop, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Notice this. Satan at one point, he comes up and he's at that dinner table. He's at that table when all things are starting to take place and and Jesus is starting to tell them things. And he's restrained for a while so he washes their feet. And Judas Iscariot is listening to the voice of the devil. Don't you listen to him. Don't listen to that rabbi preacher. Don't listen to that master of divinity. Don't you listen to him. If you betray him, he'll have to show himself. And in that room that night, after listening for long enough, we're told 
He puts it into the heart. In other words, he speaks into Judas. He's speaking into that wicked heart. And now he steps right into Judas. And he possesses him. He stepped right into Judas. And he possessed him in the presence of Christ. Do you think Christ didn't know it? Why do you think he says, what thou doest, do quickly? Oh, he knows the heart. Every single one of us, he knows the heart. He knows the voice that speaks to you right now. And I pray it's his voice. I pray it's his. Judas Iscariot, we're told, Satan entered into him. And he leaves, goes out into the night. Such a dark place for him. Out into the night. He's called the son of perdition. Jesus praying to his father, he says, of all those that you have given me, I've not lost any. Save the son of perdition or the son on the road to destruction. Is there someone and they're on the road to destruction? Maybe you don't even realize it. You don't even know it. Jesus says, those that are mine, I lose none. Predetermined by God that this man with a wicked heart would betray his son. In John chapter 13, verses 30 to 35, Jesus speaks of himself leaving the disciples. Fear starts to grip their heart. He starts to talk about his demise and, uh, as, as on the cross of Calvary. And he will be leaving them. And they start to fear and they start to worry. And as soon as Judas Iscariot had went out into the night, if you read that chapter, Jesus starts opening his heart to them. Isn't it amazing that whenever a man and a woman, and we're in a meeting, and a man and a woman start to realize, this is God speaking to me. This is Christ speaking to me. I need to listen to the voice of the Spirit. I need to listen to the voice of God, and not to the voice of the wicked one, the devil. And once you start understanding it's the voice and the Word of God, and you receive that, you know what happens? He starts to pour his heart out to you. He starts to reveal himself to you. And he did it that night. He starts revealing himself to his disciples more and more. He held it all in until the devil went out. Until Judas had left the very room and the building that they were in. Until he had left this upper room. And the same night in which he was betrayed, he starts speaking of his leaving. In John chapter 13, verses 36 to 38, Big Peter jumps up. Big Peter jumps up and listen. Peter announces his faithfulness to Christ, saying, I am willing to go even on the prison or on the death for you, Lord. I won't deny you. I won't run away and leave you. See, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, he says. And, and Peter says, I won't. They might, but I won't. Jesus prophesies to Peter. And he tells him, he says, Peter, the cock will not crow until you have denied me three times this night. The same night. And which he was betrayed was the same night in which Christ was denied by Peter. The disciples in the garden later would flee from him and forsake him. But it was the same night when he would be denied by Peter. In Luke chapter 22, Luke adds something else to this. Luke 22 verses 31 to 34. It tells us of Satan's ploys. 
and Satan's tactics to destroy the master, the Lord Jesus, and also to bring to naught the faith in all those who love him. And the Lord Jesus looks that night around that table and he sees the 11 who are left there. And listen to what he says. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, he says, strengthen your brethren. Now let me tell you what he's saying. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. He's obtained you by asking the Father. But that he may sift you as wheat, not to be cast away like Judas Iscariot, but as wheat, you're going to go through something, but he's going to bring you out forth as gold. Brothers and sisters, when you're going through something and your heart's still in love with Christ, you're coming through to be brought out as forth as gold, precious gold, tried gold, that your faith would be precious before him. And that's what God brings us through things for, that we will learn whom he is in the dark times. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. The idea reads like this. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you all. Every one of you at this table, Satan has just entered Judas Iscariot and he's went out, but he wants all of you, he says. He's done what he's had to do this night, but he wants you, Simon, and he wants you, John, and he wants you, James, and so on and so on. He says, Satan wants every one of you. And he turns to the big fisherman and he says, but I, I have prayed for thee. That your faith fail not and when thou art converted, when you've come through it, you'll strengthen your brethren. Notice this. Here's the strange thing about it. The word here for the devil who entered into Judas Iscariot, his name being Satan, the word here, the term for it means the malignant one. The malignant one. He first enters Judas to turn his heart to betray Jesus. Then he tries Simon Peter. Simon Peter was the vacillator. You know what vacillation is? It's you're, you're forward, you're back, you're, you're blown with the wind. You know, you're, you're here, you're there, you've one foot in, you've one foot out. Peter was, oh, I'm going with you to prison and even on to death. And yet the same night he's betraying him. And Satan looked for the chink in the armor. And he looked for his weakness. And he says, I've got him. I've got him. So any wonder Peter writes, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lamb, one of the bites, seeking whom he may devour. Says, big Peter, I get my hands on Peter next. That big fisherman, you love Christ? You love this one? Well, let's see if you do. He meant it for evil, but God, he meant it for good. Here, Peter was the vacillator and the devil wanted to try to catch him in his weakness and during a moment of his unbridled instability. And when the devil sees the old instability in man and woman, he looks for it, he watches for it. He sees that they're, they're not going on well and he says, now I've found the weakness, I'm going to attack. 
Dost thou not also with him? For thy speech doth betray thee. I know him not. Got him. Shows you the grace of God that only the prayers of Christ can Peter. Do you know you have a great high priest, an advocate with the Father? There's a man in the glory standing at the right hand of the majesty on high, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended, glorified, risen Son of God, and he's praying for you, and he's praying for me right now. You'll make it through the prayers of Christ. That's the same night on which he was betrayed. All of this was happening in this one room. The malignant one had come. The malignant one, actually, if you read it and look for the actual words and the meaning of the person of this enemy, it means the malignant enemy of God and of man. <laughs> Do you know when someone's told that they've cancer or a tumor and it's malignant, fear it puts into people? You know, whenever you go for a brain scan and they say, go home, there's nothing you can do. It's malignant. Malignant simply means this. One who is disposed to cause harm, to cause suffering, to cause distress deliberately. Malignant is one who shows ill will or hatred, one who is dangerous, one who is harmful in influence or in effect, one who is invasive, one who is injurious, who behaves himself spitefully, one acting out of malice, the malignant one. Brothers and sisters, let us be careful to neither give place to the malignant one, the devil, Neither give place in our lives that little chink of armor where we tend to hold the hurts and to hold the things where he can enter in and cause it to do damage to our own lives and to the church of God and Christ. And he moves through like a cancer. This malignant one was out to do his worst because Christ was going to the cross. This malignant one was out to do worse, is worse because Christ was going to the cross. In fact, isn't it wonderful that you hear the Lord says, Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. But he denied him. No, that, was, that wasn't his faith that was failing. That was his courage. Yet he didn't pray for Judas Iscariot. Is that not amazing? See, that's the sovereignty of God, and we must leave these things with him. John chapter 14, the same night in which our Lord was betrayed, Jesus speaks of his ascension into heaven and his coming again. Let not your heart be troubled, he says. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Here he's saying, I'm going to go away and leave you. And then one of his 
his disciples says, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here he's sitting in this room being betrayed. He's going to be denied. He's going to flee away from him and leave him on his own. He'll go into Gethsemane. He'll go to the cross. He'll bleed and he'll die. And he's saying, don't be worried, because he says, I've overcome all of this. He already knew the outcome before it even happened. Yet he knew he would go through it for you and I and feel it like you and I and experience it like you and I. He speaks of his coming again as the, uh, as in, the, in the spirit and he speaks of his coming again as the son of man in the clouds of glory and announces himself to be in unity as the son with the father and the father with the son. In John 15, Jesus teaches the 11, Judas Iscariot's away, he teaches the 11 of the importance of abiding in him, in fellowship, the importance of love, and the importance of fruit-bearing for the kingdom. Then he speaks in verse 26 of the Holy Spirit. He says, but when the, Holy, the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, notice, he shall testify of me. Brothers and sisters, if we go to a meeting and Christ isn't elevated and glorified and lifted up, and if you go to a meeting or sit under a teaching where Christ is not preached, lifted up, elevated and glorified, then walk out the doors and don't go back. Because the Holy Spirit isn't in it if Jesus isn't exalted. He says, he'll come and he'll take of me and he'll give to you. And he'll also, he says, he'll come and testify of me. He'll testify of my sonship before the Father. He'll testify of my ministry in heaven. He will testify of me. Then when we go on in to John 16, Jesus warns of tribulation and trial the Holy Spirit power that he had overcome the world. John chapter 17, Jesus speaks of his high priestly prayer. Starts praying before these men. I would love to have heard the tones of his voice and seen the expressions on his face. I would love to have been there just to see him say these words. He says, Father, the hour has come. I wonder how he said it. I wonder what his expression was. Can you see him sitting there around this table with these men? And he's only after washing their feet. And the old devil has come in and now is away out. And he's warned Peter what's going to happen. And he says, look guys, I'm going to the cross and I know what's going to happen to me. And I'm going to go and I'm going to bleed and I'm going to die tonight. Within the next 12 hours, he says, I'll be gone. He turns to his father. He says, father, the hour has come. John 17 and verse 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thy me, thine own self with the glory I had with thee before the world was. And then in verse 25, he calls him, O righteous Father. Notice the tones of Christ. Father. O Father. O righteous Father. Can you hear the pathos in his voice? Can you hear that desperate Deep cry, deep calling on to deep. And he said, Father, oh Father, oh righteous Father. 
these men haven't a clue. They haven't a clue. And you know what? We still haven't a clue. In fact, we're told a couple of them are saying, who do you think will be the greatest when he's gone? And he's heading for the cross. He's heading for Calvary. The pathos of his heart. Oh, Father, righteous Father. He feels the weight of it. He already starts to feel the bearing of it down on him. He starts to feel the pressure of it. He starts to feel his own mortal flesh feeling the very strain of it before he goes out to Gethsemane and he sweats as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. Feels it come upon him. Father, the hour has come. This is just more, this isn't just, this is more than a a man or a woman waiting for their their turn to go to a chopping block or or to go to to, to their death at an electric chair or and the fear over overcoming them. This isn't what this is. Let me tell you what this is. This is the whole of history swinging upon this man. This is the the whole of this night and it holds the whole of salvation and the whole of redemption. It's the whole culmination of prophecy all resting on him. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Way before there was an earth formed and fashioned, he says, you knew this hour would come. That's what happened the same night. She was betrayed. This hour, the whole of our salvation, our forgiveness, our justification, our righteousness would swing upon what he would do at this very present moment. What if, what if he turned around and says, Father, I don't want to go through this, neither do I want to come under your word and your will. Let them go. Let them die. Let them be lost. What if he did that? Hell is hot. Flames are high. The darkness is deep. The crowds are loud. They're cries. Pitiful souls yearning and squirming where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And he would have said, just let them go. What a... Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord, you never did. You took it in your own body and on the tree. That a guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinner like me We'd be saved and we'd enter the kingdom of God. Our Lord left an example when he said, The hour has come. All eternity would rest upon him 
And his example was one to pray for others and even in his own adversity. Two, he left an example for those who were coming behind him. And three, his hour of his passion on the cross required his hour of passionate prayer in the garden. What? Could you not watch with me for one hour, he says? We're told that Judas, which betrayed him, knew the place. So here we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this is going on. He breaks the bread and he says, my body's going to be broken. He drinks of the cup and he gives it to them and he says, drink it for my blood will be shed. And all of this is happening. And we're told in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, and when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. That's the place where Judas knew he'd be. Do you know if you were to say to many people today, well, I like to go out and I go to this certain place to remember the Lord, to worship him, and oh, you're being too legalistic. You don't need to do that now. Christ was in the garden and they knew where he would be. Under the gnarled olive tree. Seeking the face of his father. Such a wonderful Christ. It says he sung a hymn. And the same night in which he was betrayed, he sung a hymn. Next week we're going to look at the hymn. We never got out of the room tonight. We've went so far and to go into the hymn will take us another half hour, which I'm sure you don't want to sit through. I could give you it, but you won't want to sit through it. I think it was maybe Jim prayed in the prayer meeting. They wouldn't see a preacher tonight, but they would see Jesus. Brother, sister, that you and I afresh would see him. Notice this as we close this. I've told you the story before of D.L. Moody and he was brought to London and he was brought to, to hear Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker was a great orator of the word of God at the time of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And D.L. Moody was brought to hear Joseph Parker. I have some of his commentary in the house and some of his sermon outlines and so on in the house. Sermons, I should say, in the house. And he's a great orator. And on leaving, D.L. Moody, it said, was asked, well, what did you think? And he says, what a preacher. What a preacher. So that evening, he was brought round to the Elephant and Castle and to the Metropolitan Church in London to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great Baptist preacher. And on coming out, D.L. Moody was asked again, well, what do you think? He turned to his friend and D.L. Moody said, what a Christ. What a Christ. Brothers and sisters, what a Christ. What a Christ. He alone should be seen.
What a Christ. Lord bless us this evening. Lord bless his word to every heart.